Good. We can finally start the big meeting. Dottie, Chuck. Let's begin, shall we? Shall we? This box contains over 217 bits and pieces of information. Evidence. Exhibit A. A photograph of the victims. My bike and me. Uh. Exhibit B. Another photograph. What's missing from this picture? It's just me. Without my bike! Is this something you could share with the rest of us, Amazing Larry? Exhibit C. The horn I was picking up at Chuck's Bikerama when my bike was actually stolen. Exhibit D. Jimmy, what is this? Too late. Chip. Uh, looks like a pen. Exactly. I bought this pen one hour before my bike was stolen. Why? What's the significance? I don't know. Exhibit Q. A scale model of the entire mall. <laughs> X marks the scene of the crime. These arrows here show the exact position of the sun and the hour of the crime. Jupiter was aligned with Pluto. The moon was in the hey, sun. Hey. Please save your questions until I'm through, Chuck. Well, when will that be? A long time we wait. We've been here for over three hours now, and I'm not sure if any of us can see what all this is supposed to mean. Supposed to mean? Supposed to mean? <laughs> I think everyone here knows what this is supposed to mean. And you've gone over something again and again and again and again. Like I have. Certain questions get answered, others spring up. The mind plays tricks on you, you play tricks back. It's like you're unraveling a big cable knit sweater that someone keeps knitting and knitting and knitting and knitting and knitting and knitting. Knitting! Hey, God, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? My fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 295 Pee Wee's Big Adventure. And this is listener request number 33, courtesy of Bill. I found myself stuck thinking about if Pee-wee is independently wealthy or does he have Herman family money? Well, I think there's actually a lot of fan theories about where Pee-wee gets his money or what job he does mm. or different things of that nature. But I don't really think that that is important to the movie. No, it's important to me, though. <laughs> Because it's a fantasy land. I want to live a life like this. 
You do, yeah. kind of. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, a lot of people were telling me privately yeah. that you, you remind them of Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> I do. I sort of have that obnoxious laugh. That's true. Bill, I know that you probably would have preferred your other choice, Parenthood. I made a, a judgment call here. Mm. I think that your other option, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, was something that would work better for the show. I feel like after what, seven, eight years of doing this, whatever it's been. You have your finger on the pulse of what works. Yeah, I just kind of know yeah. what I think will work better. And I really wanted to have the opportunity to talk a little bit about Pee-wee, which is a character that was definitely big in my childhood. I watched definitely. Pee-wee's Playhouse. Same. My dad liked it. It was a weird thing that existed. and so. Well, I watched Pee-wee's Playhouse and then knew about the Paul Rubens stuff that happened. All before ever seeing this movie, which kind yeah, of yeah, I don't gives think I like saw this movie until later. Perception, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. So before we get into Pee Wee's Big Adventure, let's remind everyone to follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod. Send us a tweet. Tell us what episode was your gateway into the show. How'd oh, yeah. you find us? Let us know on Twitter. I'd love to hear it. A couple of. That was interesting. Listeners have shared which episode they found us through. That's pretty much the only way you're going to find us. It's not like we are on a network or have any way to promote the show. We just sort of yeah. put it out in the world and people discover it on their own. For all those people that say, what is this niche BS when you see certain things pop into the feed? You'd be surprised at some of people's first listens. <laughs> yeah, the, those are the ones that people find us on. Yeah, the yeah. weird ones, obviously. But yeah, I'd love to know. So let us know at Greatest Pod, And you can also request a sticker. We'll send that to you for free. Make sure you're subscribed to the program on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc. And please, if you have not already done so, give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We love to read your reviews and your thoughts on the show. And finally, you can find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, and Matt Crosby. So, 1985, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Directed by Tim Burton in his feature film debut. Something weird, though, about me. I did actually watch his short Frankenweenie movie as a kid. Okay. It was just one of those video rentals. I think I rented it when I had the chicken pox. And I distinctly <laughs> remember watching it. You were like, this guy, he's destined to do features. Was, yeah, there's going to be greatness here. Who would have thought that Tim Burton's whole thing would go on to be like major box office success? Looking back on it, it's kind of perplexing. Yeah. Written by Phil Hartman, Paul Rubens, and Michael Varhall. Yes, that Phil Hartman from Saturday Night Live fame. Hmm. It was made for $7 million, and it grossed $40.9 million at the box office. It was a big hit, although it was actually a slow rollout across the country because Warner Brothers thought it was a little too weird at first. They weren't really sure what to do with it. I think that's fair. And people latched onto it immediately. Not everyone necessarily bought in. I know, for example, it was on Gene Siskel's Worst of the Year in <laughs> 1985 list. It is a weird movie. But it did become an instant cult classic, which led me yeah. to the question of the nature of cult classics. Can a mostly well-received film that was also a box office hit truly be a cult classic? Or does it have to be something that 
It's hard for me to consider it that. Critics ignored and didn't make any money, but then later became big. I guess what I'm saying, does oddness triumph overall? Because the movie, despite being a hit, is weird. For sure. So does that nullify the fact that it was pretty well-reviewed and made money? I guess when I think of cult classics, I think of movies that aren't necessarily household names. I just feel like this is a movie that everyone knows. That's true. And I do think that over time, as in the last two decades or so, we have become very loose with the term cult classic. Yeah. I've definitely seen movies described as cult classics that made you know, over a hundred million dollars or something at the box office. And you're kind of like, not exactly silent night, deadly night. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So this is our opportunity to discuss Pee Wee Herman as a character, a pop culture icon, if you will. And for those of you who don't know, which might be some of you, Pee Wee began prior to, 1985. Paul Rubens, who portrays Pee Wee, started the character in a stage show developed by Rubens in 1980, five years before Pee Wee's Big Adventure and six years before the television show Pee Wee's Playhouse. The show initially debuted as a midnight show in February 1981 at the Groundlings Theater and was later moved to Los Angeles's Roxy Theater, where the HBO cable network taped one of the shows and aired it as a special that year. The TV special was later released on DVD in the 2000s. But the distinction between the Pee-wee that we know from Pee-wee's Playhouse and Pee-wee's Big Adventure is that in the nightclub show, it was definitely more adult humor and then was later modified into being for children. Yeah, I would think. It's hard to imagine. What's funny about this movie is this character in these situations and then sometimes the things that he says to people, but it's hard to picture that him doing this same bit as a stage show because... Him just acting the way he acts isn't really funny. It's the situations that he's in. So what sparked Rubens on was a failed Saturday Night Live audition in 1980, which was one of the five seasons without Lorne Michaels. So he goes off, he joins the Groundlings, he's doing this show. He ends up in a cameo role in Cheech and Chong's next movie in 1980 which we'll come back to at the end of this movie, which sort of ties in in a way. In The Groundlings is where he meets Phil Hartman. Phil Hartman becomes an essential part to the Pee Wee Herman character, always was writing on it, working on it. He ends up playing Captain Carl in the Mm -hmm. TV show. Even when it was a little more adult-tinged, it sort of morphs into this homage to the 1950s TV kitty shows like Howdy Doody or Pinky Lee, and that's where Pee Wee's Playhouse eventually springs from. The success of the Pee Wee Herman show prompted Warner Brothers to hire Paul Rubens to write a script for a full-length Pee Wee Herman film. The original concept was a little different from what we ended up with, where it was a remake of Pollyanna, which is Rubens' favorite film, with Pee Wee Herman in the Haley Mills role. While writing the script, Rubens noticed that many at Warner Brothers rode bicycles around the back lot and requested one of his own, and this ultimately inspired Rubens to start a new script. Having left Walt Disney Productions and with Frank and Weenie receiving positive reviews within film studios, Tim Burton was seeking a full-length film to direct. When Rubens and the producers of Pee-wee's Big Adventure saw Burton's work on Vincent and Frank and Weenie, they decided to hire him. Burton felt that he connected with Rubens' personality and the humor of the Pee Wee Herman show. 
which again is still the stage show. After they hired Burton, that's when Rubens, Phil Hartman, and Michael Varro revised the script. They actually read Sid Field's classic book screenplay and wrote the script according to the book's advice. Hmm. It's a 90-minute film. It's a 90-page script, Rubens explained. On page 30, I lose my bike. On page 60, I find it. It's literally exactly what they said to do in the book. There should be like a MacGuffin kind of thing, something you're looking for. And I was like, okay, my bike. (laughs) (laughs) And I think their script ended up being used as examples of this principle of how to construct a script because they followed it right to a T. Oh, yeah. It ends up being this genre-bending parody of the 1948 Italian classic Bicycle Thieves. Okay. If you've ever taken a film class, you've probably seen it. It's usually Mm. used in those environments. A man's bike is stolen. The police can't really do anything to help him, and his friends and relatives or whoever don't really take it seriously. But the bike means a lot to him. Yeah. And so that's sort of the same story as... Pee-wee's Big Adventure. There's several parts in the movie that feel like they're homages to scenes from other movies that I didn't know what they were. But it seems like it's definitely a reference to something else. Rubens ended up having to fight for Burton, and they were introduced through Shelley Duvall, I believe, who was in Frankenweenie. Yeah. After Pee-wee's Big Adventure in 1986... Rubens starts a CBS Saturday morning kids show called Pee-wee's Playhouse, which ran until 1990. Notable people on the show included Lawrence Fishburne, Phil Hartman, Cindy Lauper as Ellen Shaw sings the theme in a Betty Boop style voice, which Hell I did yeah. not realize that was her. Wow, no, me neither. She's Love credited me. as Ellen Shaw for some reason, I guess maybe contractually or something. Okay. But yes, I remember watching Pee-wee's Playhouse as a kid. I know various... People who went on to have careers also appeared on the show as children, like Natasha Leone and mm, people like that. Yeah. But it was so unlike anything that was around. It just existed in its own bizarro world. Right. And that's why I think it's actually kind of cool that Rubens and Burton came together because you honestly kind of feel the same way about Burton's early work. Yeah. It's so unique in its own thing that if you had told me that Pee Wee Herman was a co-collaboration, a creation between the two of them, I could have believed that Same. because it does fit right into Burton's whole oeuvre. Yes, for sure. Some other people who appeared on the show, Sandra Bernhardt, Jimmy Smits, future heavy metal musician and filmmaker Rob Zombie was a production assistant. Wow. And future filmmaker John Singleton was a security guard, which we talked about when we did Boys in the Hood because that's, that's right. how he met Lawrence Fishburne. Yep. Season three, which consisted of only three episodes, included an all-star Christmas special featuring the regular cast with appearances by Annette Funicello, Frankie Avalon, Magic Johnson, Dinah Shore, Joan Rivers, Zsa Zsa Gabor, Oprah Winfrey, (laughs) Whoopi Goldberg, Little Richard, Cher, Charo, Katie Lang, the Del Rubio triplets, and Grace Jones. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That was unbelievable. I just had to read that. (laughs) What a spectacle. So before we get into the film itself, we might as well talk about the incident that changed Ruben's career, mm-hmm. which was something that was such a big deal in 1991 that even as a seven-year-old or however old I was when this happened, I knew about it, but I didn't really understand what it meant exactly. I didn't get 
all of it. Same. I understood kind of some of it. Yeah, I can say the act wasn't a part of my life at the time. <laughs> no. <laughs> Which is what's weird, because when you're a kid, you really don't understand right. exactly what the fuck happened. Yeah, you're yeah. kind of like, he took his wiener out at a theater? Uh, right. But you don't even know that it's a porno theater. You're just yeah, like, yeah. at a movie theater? Like, that was the way I was on? interpreting it, yeah. So in your head as a kid, it's actually even worse in a way? It, totally, yeah. Because I was thinking... mo- I was mortified. Yeah. <laughs> I was mortified. <laughs> yeah, the whole thing makes no sense to a child where you're thinking, what exactly is happening? Mm-hmm. But I did sort of take away that he's not a good dude. That was my reaction to the whole situation. I don't know what my reaction was. I guess it was just like, I mean, I think that's a weird thing to do. Probably influenced by my mom, but... I remember just being like, okay, yeah, no. I mean, like, I think I was putting him in the category of Beavis and Butthead, not role models. (laughs) In July of 91, Rubens was arrested in Sarasota, Florida for masturbating during a film in an adult movie theater. In case you were confused as to what we were alluding to, we didn't understand that he was masturbating and we didn't know that it was a porno theater. Mm -hmm. As a kid, you're only hearing a cleaned up version of this story. So you're thinking he just... Pulling this thing out. Arrested for indecent exposure at a movie theater. Yes, Which yes. sounds insane, because you don't even know that there's theaters like this as right. a kid. During a random police inspection, the detective who had observed Rubens detained him as he was readying to leave. This sweep also resulted in three other arrests. It's like, no shit, what the fuck do you think our people are doing there? <laughs> Give me a goddamn break with this. I know, it is weird. This is a time before people had the internet. And not everyone necessarily yeah. wanted to buy tapes and have them in their house. So what what else were you supposed to do? Come on. No one was shocked by what was going on in there. I, yeah. <laughs> everyone knew what they were signing up right. for. <laughs> when detectives examined his driver's license, Rubens told them, I'm Pee Wee Herman, and offered to do a children's benefit for the sheriff's office to, quote, take care of this. Oh, boy. The next day, after a local reporter recognized Rubens' name, Rubens' attorney made the same offer to the Sarasota Herald Tribune in exchange for withholding the story. Mm. The 1991 arrest was widely covered and Rubens and his career both became the subject of ridicule. Disney MGM Studios suspended a video that showed Pee-wee explaining how voiceover tracks were made from its studio tour. Toys R Us removed Pee-wee's toys from its stores. It is commonly thought that Pee-wee's Playhouse was canceled Due to the arrest, in reality, the show had already ended. Rubens claiming an overworked crew and, and fear of decline of quantity and quality of material had decided against a sixth season. However, the popularity of the show put it into syndication, which CBS revoked on July 29th, 1991. Huh. Rubens released a statement denying the charges, and then in November, he pleaded no contest, which kept the charge off of Rubens' record but obligated him to spend 75 hours performing community service as part of his service. He made two anti-drug public service announcements that were both self-produced and self-financed. This incident, while it didn't turn Rubens into a full-blown recluse, he did have a much more scaled-back 1990s. Despite what seemed to be overwhelming support from both Within the industry and from fans, if you go back, there's a lot of people who supported him. Oh, wow. But I do think that his association with children as a children's act made this complicated. And I kind of understand. It's a tough look. The initial 
blowback. But as I was saying to you before we started recording, Fred Willard was basically busted for the same thing when he was like almost 80 years old. People you know, were a, few a little years bit before he died. More apologetic over that situation for him on behalf of him. <laughs> and people just thought it was funny. Yeah. <laughs> now, granted, he wasn't doing a children's TV show at the time, but no one made it into a big deal. Well, now the shock of a situation like that is a hundred times more than it would have been then because the theaters actually served more of a purpose in 91. Yeah. Well, I just took that to be he was old and didn't really... Yeah. Didn't know how to work an iPad. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, during that time period in the 90s, Rubens backed away from the Pee Wee character a bit. He ended up guest starring on some shows. I think he won an Emmy for that work and... Eventually, he ended up in Blow and some right. other movies and whatnot. But his career was never quite the same after the incident. No. <laughs> no, it definitely threw a curveball in his trajectory, that's for sure. Yeah, I do think it's unfortunate that he was villainized in such a way because, as I said, folks, what the fuck did you think these movie theaters were for? To enjoy a lovely family picture. <laughs> On a Sunday afternoon. I know it's gross, and I know it's unsanitary, but what the fuck did you think was happening in there? Come on. (laughs) It's fucking bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Only in Florida would some kind of bullshit like that be going down. (laughs) Leave Pee-wee alone. Leave Pee-wee and his Pee-wee alone. (laughs) I don't know. I don't think it's that controversial of me to have such a pro Pee-wee stance in this incident. Yeah, the theaters existed for a reason. Come on. I'm not saying everyone should have been going in and doing this, but I th- I kind of thought that that's what people thought happened in these theaters. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into Pee-wee's Big Adventure. A classic, a unique film, a film that is not only unique, but I think it's oddly life-affirming in a weird way because it's almost like a coming-of-age story, but in reverse in some strange way, where he is already an adult, but he acts like a child, and so there's some weird wrinkle there. But I would describe it as so uncynical and mm-hmm. positive true, that it's hard not to enjoy it, even if you're not necessarily vibing with all of the humor. Just the weird path that he ends up being on is like such a compelling journey, too. You just want to stay with it. And it's one of those things where... Most of the characters seem to embrace Pee-wee for his weirdness. For sure. He's never really judged that harshly. Even in situations where it seems like it's going to go awry, he wins them over. Yeah, wins over that motorcycle gang. Yeah. Pee-wee's Big Adventure is the first of many collaborations between director Tim Burton and music composer Danny Elfman. Oh, yeah. Initially, it was Ruben's idea because he was a big fan of Elfman's band Oingo Boingo. Elfman was reticent, having never scored a film before, but eventually agreed, sparking a legendary partnership between himself and Burton. Really intense score, too. It kind of starts you off on the journey we would be going on with Tim Burton for years to come. It has its own bizarre, weird sound to it, but it's very intense, too. The opening of the film is a Tour de France victory dream sequence. Pee-wee is riding in his customary gray suit with red bow tie. He's on a Schwinn Western Flyer, which is his bike. 
Pee-wee has that traditional look that we've all come to know and love. And I've heard some interesting stories about the 2016 Pee-wee's Big Holiday and mm. some people who saw it before it was finished, like mm. at a test screening, and how they had these big clamps to pull back his skin. <laughs> okay. You know, because people yeah. get older. Totally. But it was odd because they hadn't digitally removed them yet. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so they're watching this movie with those going on. <laughs> That's but the yeah. most talk I've ever heard about that version of a Pee-wee movie. What do you mean? I just haven't heard anybody talk about it. You mean the movie? Yeah. Yeah, we'll mention it a little bit at the end. We're not really going to talk about the other films, the sequels necessarily. They're not as great. I didn't see the 2016 one. Yeah. Because as far as I know, no one has. It seemed like Netflix buried it for some reason. Even though it seemingly got fairly decent reviews, at least according to yeah. my quick research. <laughs> Mixed to positive? Yeah. It seems like almost anything, though, yeah. gets positive reviews these days. Is, sure. If it's, sure especially does. if it's a legacy sequel. For sure. At the end, when he wins the Tour de France, he's given a crown. The thing that occurred to me in watching this little dream sequence, it's clearly not in France. It's just some area where they're filming and they're all collected on this grass and he goes up on this stage. And I was thinking that the small time nature of this actually works in the film's benefit because it really helps create a simplistic, childish version of what these events would be. Mm -hmm. Like, it's better that he's not dreaming of the actual Tour de France. It's this little tiny version of it where... The ceremony at the end is him getting a crown on a lawn. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because that's the world he lives in. It's this childhood fantasy land. It's not a real world. And yes, when Pee-wee wakes up from this dream, he is in a man-child playland. Now, when we did the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids episode way back, yeah, I talked about it being like a 90s thing. These inventive mechanical houses. But obviously, yeah. it, it goes back before that. And I just watched the Goonies the other day too, with these all these weird inventions. And, yeah, <laughs> like he's got like a, these houses, a breakfast contraption yeah. that feeds himself and the and Speck the dog, his little dog. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in the house you'll see a lot of toys, dinosaurs, which is a big theme throughout the movie. There's always dinosaurs Definitely. everywhere in the movie. I like in the bathroom, the window like goes out to like a fish tank. Yeah, which I'm not even sure. It's what hard that to means. explain. Yeah, there's a fire pole to get from the second floor to the first floor. Uh huh. His home, his life, his lifestyle, they're all kind of impossible to explain. As you already alluded to, it doesn't really seem like he has a job. Mm -mm. But at the same time, if he had a job, that wouldn't make any sense because he's a child. He just (laughs) looks like an adult. (laughs) It's hard to even imagine what this is. No, we don't know. Yeah. He's a one of one. Okay. That's what it takes to be creative and inventive. You need to just create something and not question it and just right. go with it. And yep. then you end up with this character. If you bog yourself down with, Reality. well, we need to explain this. Yeah. We need to... No, you don't need to explain it. He's fucking Pee Wee Herman. Uh-huh. That's it. That's <laughs> all you need to know. It does seem like he does a million things throughout his everyday life just to amuse himself. No one else is around. No one's sharing the laughs with him. Right, and I was like, it's kind of admirable, I guess, that he goes through all the trouble just for his own benefit. Just doing life bits, bits only for him. We find out when he steps on the scale, he is literally a 98-pound weakling, as the expression goes. And his fortune says, don't leave the house today, but he ignores it. 
mm. which might be a mistake. Foreshadowing. So he wastes all this food, which is something that's almost hard to ignore once you're an adult. But he gets all this nice-looking breakfast food and dumps Mr. T cereal onto it, of which he only eats a little bit of and then doesn't eat anything else. Right. Mr. T cereal was real. So, yes, this is a real thing. In his yard, he has all of these plastic statues of Native Americans, a rocket ship, Santa Claus. It's a bunch of plastic junk <laughs> filling every square inch of the front yard. Uh-huh. I'm sure the neighborhood is thrilled. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if he was in an HOA, he'd be screwed. Finally, we get a look at the bike. It's heavily guarded. There's a whole crazy way to access the bike with like a code on a box that's attached to the house and the uh-huh. whole thing. This is Pee-wee's prized possession. It's accessorized, modified, one of a kind. Pee-wee treasures his bicycle while his neighbor slash enemy, Francis Buxton, <laughs> covets it. Yeah, Francis is supposed to be a kid. It's just hilarious. He's, as you would say, a hard guy to look at. Yeah, it's Played tough. by Mark Holton. I guess initially they were looking at an actual child because Corey Feldman was offered the part of Francis, but it conflicted with the Goonies, which you just mentioned. How about that? Feldman was definitely a hot item at the time because remember Uh we talked about the Friday the 13th sequels that had to turn down because of the Goonies. The Goonies was like a big deal. Yeah. It was a crossroads for his career. (laughs) Morning, Pee Wee. Well, Francis. Today is my birthday, and my father said I can have anything I want. Good for you and your father. So guess what I want? A new brain. No, your bike. (laughs) What's so funny, Pee-wee? It's not for sale, Francis. My father says everything's negotiable. Pee-wee. I wouldn't sell my bike for all the money in the world. Not for a hundred billion million trillion dollars. Then you're crazy. I know you are, but what am I? You're a nerd. I know you are, but what am I? You're an idiot. I know you are, but what am I? 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 Infinity. No, I'm not. You are. No way. Knock it off. Cut it out. Oh, shut, shut up, up. Pee Wee. Why don't you make me? Why don't you make me? Because I don't make monkeys. I just train them. Oh, Pee Wee, listen to reason. Oh, come on. I'm listening to reason. Pee Wee. That's my name. Don't wear it out. Remember the first time I saw your bike? You were riding past my house, and I came running out to tell you how much I liked it even way back then? I love that story. <laughs> You'll be sorry, Pee-wee Herman. After Francis declares his desire to possess Pee-wee's bike, Pee-wee then rides to a little shopping plaza. He uses a comedically long chain to wrap all over his bicycle and then chain it to a robotic clown as the bike rack looked kind of full, I guess. He's got to run some errands. Some important errands. First up, Mario's Magic Shop. In the background... There's a picture of Elvira on the wall, and Cassandra Peterson herself appears later in the film as Biker Mama. How about that? The one who wants to have her way with (laughs) Pee-wee, which is kind of a weird joke. I will say that from what I remember of Big Top Pee-wee, 
And from what I've heard of Pee-wee's Big Holiday from 2016, I do think that they occasionally sprinkle in a little bit of sexual innuendo. Now, it's probably the least amount in this movie, Mm -hmm. but that was definitely a thing in Big Top Pee-wee. And then I heard there was some stuff in Pee-wee's Big Holiday, which I guess was a little more adult-oriented. Well, that material works for laughs. He's got to load up on supplies at the magic shop, including trick gum, headlight glasses, and a boomerang tie, which he never uses in Correct. the film. Yeah. It does seem like this is one of the James Bond Q sequences where he's getting all the things that will come into play. Yeah, I'm and wondering if a couple the, of them do. the boomerang tie was cut. There was a scene, because he does use the trick gum and the headlight glasses True. later. Next up at the bike shop, we meet Dottie played by Elizabeth or mm. E.G. Daly. She goes by both. A cute young lady who has an inexplicable crush on Pee-wee that he does not reciprocate. Yeah, even though it's hilarious, I find Pee-wee Herman's treatment of Dottie despicable. <laughs> oh, come on. He's a child. Yeah. <laughs> I love Dottie. The whole thing between Pee-wee and Dottie is what makes the movie for me. Yeah, it's just so funny. The way he treats her and is so dismissive of her <laughs> advances. Like, laughing at her. Like, yeah. what are you talking about? <laughs> hey, Pee-wee. Hey, Pee-wee. Hey, Pee-wee. Hey, Pee-wee. What's good? All right. Dottie still working on your bike? No. Had it back a couple days already. What's she doing to it? Can't really talk about it. You know, James Bond kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that Dottie, she's really radical with bikes. Hi, Pee-wee. Say we cruise, dudes. Yeah. Sure is getting hot in here. Steamy. I'm sweating. So is my horn ready yet? Yeah, it's ready. Should be loud enough for you now. Well, where is it? Let's hear it. Wait, I want to talk to you first. You are talking to me. No, I want your undivided attention. Look, Pee-wee, this is important. Does someone want to ask you? Mm-hmm. I... Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to know if you'll do something. What? I want to know if you'll go someplace with me. Like where? The drive-in. Look, Daddy, I like you. Like? I like you. That's the thing. I like you, too. Daddy! There's a lot of things about me you don't know anything about, Daddy. Things you wouldn't understand. Things you couldn't understand. Things you shouldn't understand. I don't understand. You don't want to get mixed up with a guy like me. I'm a loner, Daddy. A rebel. So long, Daddy. Elizabeth Daly is an actress I know from Valley Girl. I was always oh. a big fan. She later went on to voiceover fame doing the voice of Tommy Pickles in Rugrats mm-hmm. and Buttercup from the Powerpuff Girls, amongst other projects. Supposedly up for the role of Dottie was Lori Laughlin, 
Laura Dern, Phoebe Cates, Leah Thompson, and wow. Jennifer Jason Lee. Holy shit. All receiving some consideration. A list of women I'm forever in love yeah, with, really? by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll throw E.G. Daly into the mix as well. Uh-huh. This is where Pee Wee utters the immortal line, I'm a loner, Dottie, a rebel. It never fails. No. No matter how many times I watch these scenes between Pee Wee and Dottie, I always laugh. It's yeah. just gold to His me. His delivery of these lines is probably the best part in the whole movie. <laughs> She's just so adamant that she wants to be with Pee Wee. Just go to which, the drive-in with him. Which seems insane because Pee Wee is so weird and yeah, he's a child, basically. But as you may have imagined, as you may have predicted, while Pee Wee is in the bike shop, his bike is stolen. By the way, I'd have thought that there would be more chain remnants around. There's really not that much of the chain left lingering (laughs) in the area. The police tell Pee-wee they cannot help him find it, as it doesn't rise to the level of a police emergency. Pee-wee realizes it must have been Francis who took the bike and rushes off to confront him. Very strange sequence of events here. As it turns out, it's Francis's bath time, but he's in swimming trunks in a massive tub. Yeah, which seems more like a pool. Yeah. Pee-wee jumps into the water in his suit. They have like a weird water battle. They're like fighting in the water. Francis's dad shows up. anymore because you already have it tell me where it is before i lose patience with you francis go ahead and scream your head off we're miles from where anyone can hear you (laughs) are you all right in there What's going on in there? I was so seriously stole it! No, I swear it wasn't me! Help! Francis, we're, we're breaking the door now! That's a serious accusation to make, Pee-wee. Do you have any proof? Well, not exactly. Pee-wee, the Buxtons are not thieves. Just look at him. He couldn't have stolen your bike. We've been setting up his birthday train set all day. Gee, I guess I was wrong. We don't have to involve the authorities in this matter, do we, Mr. Buxton? I mean, it was a simple mistake. And I'm really sorry. Well, uh, I still think that you owe Francis an apology. And then I want to see the two of you shake hands. I'm sorry, Francis. Here, would you care for some gum? Would you care for some, Mr. Buxton? Oh. Spearmint? 
or fruit? Uh, fruit, please. Well, goodbye. Goodbye. You do believe me, don't you, Dad? Francis's father convinces Pee-wee that Francis was at home all day and thus could not have stolen Pee-wee's bike. Pee-wee seems to accept this and then gives them each a piece of the trick gum, which is actually kind of disturbing looking. Uh-huh. And it looks like black oil is in Francis's mouth. I was thinking a little bit about what we were talking about during the Raiders of the Lost Ark episode and how movies that were PG and G and designed for kids and stuff like that were a little bit more disturbing in the Definitely 80s. Definitely this falls into that category. And there's some stuff in this movie. Oh, yeah. Even the weird oil-type uh-huh. liquid coming out of his mouth is kind of like weird for a kid to see. It's yeah. just different. But yeah, obviously the large, large marge marge. moment. Yeah. <laughs> the most iconic moment of the movie, I'd say. Pee-wee offers a $10,000 reward for the bike when Dottie asks how he intends to pay the reward. Pee-wee says that whoever has the bike stole it so they don't deserve the money. Genius. <laughs> Francis, who did indeed pay someone to steal the bike, uh-huh. is alarmed by Pee-wee's relentlessness and ultimately pays to have the bike sent away. <laughs> well, that was quick. <laughs> I also like this room that he's meeting this dude in. This is like a Brad Wesley type room. Yeah. Just like dead animals all over the place. Yeah. The conceit in the film is that Francis comes from this super rich family and he thinks that he can just buy Pee-wee's bike and Pee-wee rejects it. You would think though, wait till it's dark out and Pee-wee's asleep and just put the bike in his yard and this whole thing will blow over. Well. But they don't do that. Francis just doesn't want it coming back on him. (laughs) It's like, I'm going to have to get down to Barbados till the heat blows over. (laughs) That evening, Pee-wee gathers together friends and neighbors to review all the evidence, but the meeting is ultimately unsuccessful. Pee-wee starts spiraling, and then he rejects offers to help from Dottie and from anyone else. He's going insane. Possibly not too far of a trip for him, but... (laughs) (laughs) He was pretty close already, but this bike disappearing is just pushing him over the edge. Wandering aimlessly in the rain, Pee-wee comes to a psychic. This is one of those moments that it seems like it's a reference to something. Like the way it's shot where you see his shadow like coming around the corner and then it's him. Yeah. It just feels like that's supposed to be from something, but I don't know what it is. Well, this whole sequence definitely reminded me of the noir films and stuff like that. For sure, yeah. And when I said earlier that it was like a genre-bending film, I think it's because it dabbles in all of these tropes and homages to horror films, westerns, romances, noir films, etc. It's it's sort of swirling all this stuff together for this crazy parody. That's true. The psychic's name is Madame Ruby, and when she's questioned as to the whereabouts of Pee-wee's beloved bicycle, Ruby happens to spy a bargain basement sign for a place called Al and Moe's, So she tells Pee-wee that his bike is in the basement of the Alamo Mission in San Antonio. Oh, yeah. It's all very usual suspects. Well, she probably assumes there's no way that he would pursue this there. (laughs) (laughs) Evidently, she is unaware that the Alamo doesn't have a basement. Now, he leaves his wallet there, which I thought was just something that was going to not be mentioned again. But that does come back into play. Him not. Oh, wow. That was a good spot by you. I don't think I realized that's where he left his wallet. Yeah. Okay. Because she takes it to come up with her story because she's looking through pictures in it. And then he, like, runs out of there. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Good. 
Pee-wee then sets out to hitchhike to Texas, first getting a ride from a fugitive convict named Mickey. I also love him hitchhiking with the sign that's in the shape of Texas. Yeah, he took all the <laughs> trouble to make that sign. <laughs> but then only packed like one of those, Yeah, what do they call it, like a bindle? Uh, or yeah. What do they call uh, that? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Mickey's wearing half of handcuffs, so not a great sign. <laughs> not a good start. And then I love that the crime he committed was cutting off the do not remove label of a mattress. Which I think is a joke that's been used in like a bunch of shit, <laughs> but it is funny. Do you think it was in a, anything before this? I don't know, but I just remember it popping up over time. I think more on like TV shows. When they're talking, Pee Wee is distracted and looking towards Mickey and then driving right by is a truck with Pee Wee's bike on it. Oh, yeah. Rolling by undetected. So at first I tried to go through legal channels, but the cops, ha, think they were any help? They just gave me the runaround. Yeah, that's when I decided to take the law into my own hands. The law. <laughs> the law. The law. The law! Well, this is it, kid. Wait! Wait. I got an idea! Officer? We're looking for an escaped convict, ma'am. We heard all about it on the radio. Right, honey? <laughs> Have you seen this man? <gasps> Bless him, better heads on boils. <laughs> no, I'm sure I'd remember this face. Honey? No. Would you mind stepping out of the car, ma'am? No, not at all, officer. Some sort of problem? No problem at all. I just wanted to take a quick look at that cute little outfit you have on. <laughs> Why don't you take a picture? It'll last longer. <laughs> you have a nice day. Pee-wee and Mickey reach a police checkpoint. And it's so yeah. funny because they're like literally feet away from it and panicking. <laughs> and then they cut to and then Pee Wee's dressed like yeah. a woman. You think it's about to be a devil's reject situation. <laughs> and Mickey's wearing a disguise and they're pretending to be a couple. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, of course, physically impossible that they changed. Where did they get the disguises? I know, <laughs> I know this part's hilarious. I love this whole sequence with the cop. There's a little bit of a, a deja vu moment with Mickey saying he's a loner. And Pee-wee ends up dropped off in the middle of nowhere, and it's completely dark. Oh, and dude. They, I, it cuts to that like animated eyes. Yeah. <laughs> which is a weird touch. Well, I love back at the police scene when they do the whole act for the cops, and then the cop's like, can you step out of the car, ma'am, to like Pee-wee? <laughs> She's like, did I do something? He's like, no, I just wanted to get a look at that cute little outfit you have on <laughs> I was losing it during that part. So Pee-wee is off on his own, animated eyes in the dark, and then he turns on those headlight glasses, which is a great bit, uh-huh. and he's surrounded by these enormous <laughs> animals. <laughs> it's like, what? Next up on the hitchhiking mission is a segment of my notes where I just wrote Large Marge, I underlined know. it, and then yeah. got into it. There's so much I going just wrote, on here. I love everything with Large Marge. <laughs> <laughs> this is a, a takeoff on a variation of 
different things. There's ghost stories like this, mm-hmm. but it, it's fun. The segment has gone on to become one of the film's most beloved and legendary parts. And of course, there is a nice jump scare moment for oh, the yeah. kiddos, it's which like is claymation ranked as one of the scariest moments in non-horror movies. Because this was a time where you could just slip it into a PG kids movie, uh-huh. and that really caught you off guard. You're like, what the fuck? Right. But Burton almost cut it, and his reasoning was they had to do a special effects thing, and special effects stuff is usually the first stuff to go when yeah, you're yeah. making cuts. Right. But thankfully, he did not. If you pay attention, Large Marge never blinks while telling her story. And her story, and this whole ghost thing, is based on the song Phantom 309 by Red Sovine, written by Tommy Fail. Okay. And that's something that would actually reoccur in Pee Wee Herman material. I think they also did something in Pee Wee's Big Holiday that was also based on one of those spoken word story country songs. wow. So what ends up happening is, (laughs) to sum it up, he gets this ride with a trucker. She's telling the story about a horrible wreck. Yep, 15 years ago. 10 years ago. Ten and years. at some point, okay. she turns to him, and her face is like a fucking wild claymation monster yeah, ghost yeah. thing. And then when he like gets eyes popping out. to the truck stop and mentions he got a ride with Large Marge, that's when he finds out that Large Marge has been dead for right. 10 years, and she was in the accident that she's talking about. So that means I was riding with her ghost. <laughs> the whole fucking restaurant says it. Yeah, you get the feeling maybe Pee-wee wasn't the first person to experience it. Maybe <laughs> yeah. every night on the anniversary. So nine others maybe before Pee-wee. stretch of road in a dense fog just like this I saw the worst accident I ever seen there was this sound like a garbage truck dropped off the Empire State Building and when they finally Pulled the driver's body from the twisted, burning wreck. It looked like this. <laughs> yes, sir. That was the worst accident I ever seen. I get off right up here. Have a nice day. <laughs> Be sure and tell them Large Marge sent you. <laughs> so after his encounter with the ghost trucker Large Marge, Pee Wee ends up at a roadside diner in a truck stop where he discovers his wallet is missing. As Matt pointed out, he mm-hmm. left it back at Madame Ruby's. So he has to pay for his meal by washing dishes. Yeah. 
Which is something that happens in like the Muppets take Manhattan. Right. It's a definitely a trope that would But pop is up. it a thing that ever actually happened after like nineteen thirty five? I don't know. It's hard to say if it ever actually did, but maybe during the Great Depression or yeah. something. I don't know. He befriends Simone, played by Diane Salinger, a waitress who dreams of visiting Paris. By the way, Rubens and Salinger would reunite seven years later as the Penguins' parents in Batman Returns, also directed by Burton. It's a fun tie-in. As they watch the sun rise from within one of those Cabazon dinosaurs, which you may remember from Paris, Texas. It's Mm -hmm. the same ones. Oh, yeah. Pee-wee encourages Simone to follow her dreams, but Simone tells him about her boyfriend, Andy, who disapproves. And also seems like a psychopath. This is a pretty good bit of dialogue filled with double entendres galore. Everyone's got their butt. Come on, Simone, let's talk about your big butt. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the moment that Andy overhears. (laughs) Starts losing it. And then she says something to the effect of, no one's ever put it to me like you or something like that. Of course, Andy is waiting angrily for them outside, and he tries to attack Pee-wee, who manages to escape by hopping aboard a moving train. I have to admit, I was a little worried for Simone. Andy not giving off great vibes No, to no. Me. Yeah, like... It does feel like a domestic situation was looming. Thankfully, the next time we see Simone, she's not rocking a black eye no. or something like yeah. that. <laughs> it is funny, because I had seen this movie back in the 90s, but then I think I saw it again in the early 2000s. It had been a long time, though, and when we were watching Twin Peaks The Return and the band Au Revoir Simone was on there, I was like, man, that seems familiar, but I don't know. I just was like, I guess that's just their name. And then when I was watching this, I was like, oh, shit, that's what it's from. (laughs) (laughs) While on the train, Pee-wee has a dream sequence with a claymation T-Rex eating his bike. This is not the most disturbing dream, though. The one with the clowns, I would say, is pretty weird. Pee-wee does make friends wherever he roams, though. For sure. Because he's now he's friends with the hobos on the train, almost by chance. Yeah. Pee-wee ends up at the Alamo. It does seem like the reality of a lot of these characters he runs into would be a lot darker than what we see. Yeah, well, it, sometimes it's it, it's almost like reminiscent of Borat. Yeah. And how, yes, obviously there were the horrible racist white people. Yes. But how a lot of the other people would embrace him. Right. Even though as strange and crazy as he was and the wild shit he was uh-huh. saying. <laughs> I love this part of the Alamo. We have the late, great Jan Hooks as the tour guide, SNL legend, one of the funniest women ever, in my opinion. Almost all improvised what she's saying. <laughs> the way she's saying it is so funny. Paint and glaze. <laughs> yeah. Can you say Adobe? <laughs> Pee-wee trying to ask about the basement, and she keeps like, yeah, wait until the right. <laughs> and he's just losing his mind with this, Giving group. this illustrious tour. Hi, and welcome to the San Antonio Department of Parks and Recreation official Alamo tour. My name is Tina. Excuse me, Tina, but can we go straight to I'll the? I tell ba- you what, let's hold all questions until the end of the tour, okay? But I- thank you. This mission, the Alamo, from the Spanish word for cottonwood tree, was established in the year 1718. That was the same year that our lovely city was founded by the Spanish Expeditionary Force on the site of an Indian burial mound. 
This is one of my personal favorite parts of the tour. Please say hello to our residents, Pedro and his wife, Inez. Inez is holding a clay pot that she seems very proud of. She has carefully detailed it with lots of paint and glaze. And Pedro is working on an adobe. Can you say that with me? Adobe. Adobe. <laughs> we are now in the kitchen of the Alamo women. Here they are preparing many culinary delights of the Southwest. Do I hear someone's stomach growling? <laughs> the mainstay of the Alamo diet is corn. Corn can be prepared many ways. It can be boiled, shucked, creamed, or in this case, dried. Corn can also be used to make tortillas. Do we have any Mexican-Americans with us today? La Buenos Dias. Buenos Dias. Yes, there are thousands and thousands of uses for corn, all of which I will tell you about right now. Upon this battlement in 1836, 200 Texas volunteers, including such heroes as Davy Crockett, Bill Travis, and Jim Bowie, fought off an onslaught of 4,000 Mexican troops under the command of General Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana. <laughs> At this time, I'd like to conclude our tour, and I mean it. Y'all have been one of the greatest groups I have ever worked with, really. <laughs> okay, are there any questions? Yes. Where's the basement? Excuse me? Aren't we going to see the basement? <laughs> There's no basement at the Alamo. Finally, at the end of the guided tour, Pee-wee learns that the Alamo does not have a basement. Hmm. Could it be that Madame Ruby didn't know what she was talking about? <laughs> Could it be that you've made a horrible mistake trusting the word of a Just $5 psychic? Wasting your time traveling all across Texas. The moment when he learns, too, is great because the people in the group just start laughing at yeah. him and someone takes a picture of him. They're yeah. all, like, laughing, and then, then somebody just takes the camera and snaps it in his face. Now, he's supposed to be coming from California, right? Because when we end the movie back by the Warner Brothers Studios, he lives, like, right by there, it seems. Well, yeah, because Dottie inexplicably is there. That's right. really the only explanation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So, yeah. You know, this classic road movie taking us from California to Texas and back. It doesn't really seem like... There's a lot of explanation with some of the travel. Probably intentionally sure. so. It's supposed yeah. to be weird. At the bus station, a dejected Pee-wee encounters Simone, who tells him she broke up with Andy and is on her way to Paris by way of a bus trip from San Antonio to New York City. Yikes. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a rough bus trip. Definitely. But people didn't really have much choice back then. No, I know. You, you see it in a lot of movies. or I, yeah. take a long bus ride. People, people would just do these 20-plus-hour bus trips, and you're like... Holy shit. It does seem rough. She tells Pee-wee not to give up searching for his bike, and this interaction does seem to re-inspire him. Pee-wee calls Dottie from a payphone and apologizes for his behavior. And you're thinking that this is going to build to him agreeing to the drive-in. Now. <laughs> no. It's so unbelievable. <laughs> it's so funny. She's evidently been taking care of Speck, Pee-wee's dog, who he seemed to have completely Abandoned. forgotten. Yeah. He also needs her to wire him a bus ticket so he can get home. Mm -hmm. And then she says, we can settle up at the drive-in. And then he acts like the phone connection is breaking up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Pee-wee. 
Well, that's the thing that's interesting about Pee-wee, because I think if this movie came out even 10 years later, but certainly like 20 years later, the whole thing would be that Pee-wee is probably a homosexual, which is something that they do hint at, I think, a little Mm -hmm. bit in Pee-wee's Big Holiday. Although, like I said, there's some sexual stuff with women in Big Top Pee-wee. But I think in 1985, the perceived vibe, at least, is that he's just a child. He's Uh childlike. Right. So he doesn't have any sexual interest in anyone. I don't really know what the intention is of the character, nor do I really know what Paul Rubin's personal life is like. I don't really know anything about him, right? oddly enough. I don't know. I just think that the way this movie would be taken and the character would be taken in decades after this uh-huh. would be completely different. Yeah. I definitely knew some Dotties in my life, though, caught up in these types of situations where they're sending money, taking care no, of... No, that would be usually you. Yeah. <laughs> And you'd be like, we could settle up at the drive-in. And they, instead of pretending the phone would break up, they would just laugh and hang <laughs> up. <laughs> Tell their friends about it later. Yeah, so I don't know. I guess what my point was, it's funny to me because I guess my interpretation, at least of the Pee-wee Herman in Pee-wee's Big Adventure, is that he is asexual or yeah. pre-sexual in a way, weird way. Same. Like, I know that he's an adult, but he basically has the mind of a child, and so he's not really interested in sexuality per se. And so that's why it's funny that it's this futile effort on the part of Dottie to try to get him interested in her. Because I guess if you were looking at it where he's like a homosexual or closeted or something, then it would be less funny. It would just sort of be like, all right, Dottie, fuck, fuck off. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't really get that vibe in this movie. I definitely Same. think that they're doing it to be funny. Right, right. They definitely think this bit is funny because yeah, they, they had to bring go it back up to multiple it. Yeah. times. <laughs> Andy, who is looking for Simone, spots Pee-wee and starts chasing him again. And now things get really crazy. Yeah. Pee-wee evades Andy by finding a nearby rodeo and disguising himself as a bull rider. Obviously, Pee-wee is going to end up actually riding a bull. Hmm. And he does. He nearly sets a new world record, but instead falls and receives a concussion. Oh, boy. Goes into the protocol. <laughs> they take him over to the blue tent. Blue tent yeah. Then they shoot him. <laughs> Credits. Andy is chased off by the bull because he's wearing a red shirt, so the bull goes nuts. Next up, Pee-wee wanders into a biker bar to make a phone call. And as I was saying, things have just gotten really crazy because the pace of this movie, which is a tight 90 minutes, speeds up. Everything's going so fast, rapid fire. You're just moving from one thing to the next thing to the next thing, and it seems insane. I know. (laughs) Which is why I think this movie became so popular with kids, because it's just got that breakneck pace. You're going from one goofy thing to the next goofy thing to the next goofy thing, and there's not really any time to catch your breath. Yeah. (laughs) And very little is being carried on from scene to scene. No. Turns out that the biker bar is the private club of the Satan's Helpers. Oh, boy. The gang wants to kill Pee-wee after he accidentally knocks over their motorcycles. And as I pointed out, Elvira herself plays yes, the one biker mama who is like, no, let me have my way with him or something, which is kind of <laughs> weird. Yeah. I was also kind of in on. Definitely. But once again, he has to charm the pants off these guys. Yeah, he manages to win them over by dancing to the song Tequila in a (laughs) pair of platform shoes. This is somehow the way. 
That's what's brilliant about Pee Wee. He always knows what's going to work. Yeah, it's a weird tie-in with a movie we did earlier, a different listener request, Overboard, where yeah. the one son was obsessed with Pee Wee Herman, and yeah. he's like doing that dance uh-huh. and the voice and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> the Satan's helpers end up digging Pee Wee so much that they give him a motorcycle for his journey, which he crashes immediately. Which is funny. <laughs> anytime, a billboard. anytime there's an immediate crash, yeah. it's funny. <laughs> it's actually an incredible cut. From him crashing through that billboard to the ambulance on the highway. And the motorcycle gang is escorting the ambulance. Just wailing down the road. (laughs) You're like, well, that could not have gone any worse. (laughs) Now we have another dream sequence, this time with clown doctors and nurses and his dismembered bike. It's really... It's a fever dream. Horrifying. Yeah. And I have heard that this dream sequence inspired the fear of clowns in some children. I can understand it. A few years before the miniseries It. Wow. Well. This actually, this movie came out the same year as the novel. It was a big year for clowns. That's right. I guess. If you saw this and were scared of clowns and then saw the It miniseries a few years later and were still a kid, (laughs) I think that would be traumatizing. We have several recurring themes on this podcast and anything related to It and the miniseries on CBS is part of it. That's right. Pee-wee awakens in the hospital and happens to see a television news report in which his bike is being used as a prop in a film. Yes, it's kind of convoluted. No, I don't really get what the news story is exactly. (laughs) They're showing a film being made and his bike happened to be a part of it. All I know is that it's Jason Hervey. That's right. Who played Wayne Arnold on The Wonder Years. Uh Uh-huh. Would later go on to partner up with Eric Bischoff to make some reality television programs wow Wee sneaks onto the warner brothers lot by pretending to be a part of milton burl's entourage how he got from a hospital somewhere in texas to burbank california i'm not sure and they never address <laughs> because we've moved on That's maybe right. it's something yep. to do with the boomerang bow tie <laughs> i don't know it's all off screen but ultimately this is a movie that both children and adults can enjoy and i think that's why it's become the film it's become but it's definitely a children's movie i think yeah it's just one that adults also happen to like because it's unique and interesting and weird and funny right so i don't think that you really need to explain all of this stuff because who gives a shit <laughs> well re-watching it for the first time i was like man this is kind of like the same thing as jane silent bob strike back <laughs> yeah it's, like, it's similar it ends back at the movie studio and there's a big action set piece there yeah he sneaks onto the set grabs the bike while he's disguised as a nun pretending to be in the scene Uh i love that they make hervey's character like a fucking asshole like yelling at the other people and stuff (laughs) i've been ready to go i'm the star me and my big dick (laughs) (laughs) he's like fucking dark diggler (laughs) Pee Wee makes a run for it Security guards chase him across the studio lot and through several active sets before he escapes. So we see a beach movie, Mm -hmm. something that seemed to be like the North Pole or something like that. Christmas movie? A Godzilla movie. Yeah. A Twisted Sister music video. And then a Tarzan movie where he finally ditches the last security guard. A lot of budget money being uh, thrown around at one time. Yeah, well, it was... It was the boom period. A lot of irons in the fire for the studio at this time. 
Immediately upon getting away free with the bike, Pee-wee discovers a pet store engulfed in flames and hops off of his bike and rescues the animals. Yeah, having to immediately leave his bike after this whole journey. Well, it's to prove that Pee-wee is a good person. a good guy. He's got a heart of gold. I just wanted to point out real quick, film debut of Darla the Dog who played Queenie in The Burbs and Precious in The Silence of the Lambs. Oh. That's one of the dogs that runs out of the store. Holy shit. I didn't realize we were in the presence of greatness. Now, the moment that everyone remembers is the snakes. Paul Rubens actually was terrified by snakes, so it was kind of a realistic moment. Yeah. I've heard people have emotional reactions to this moment. Now, I'm nowhere near that. But I do recognize it as sort of this grand, sweet gesture that he makes where he's mm. scared of the snakes, but he realizes he still needs to save them. Right. So he's overcoming his fear to save their <laughs> lives, which yeah. is like this great moment. But I've heard of people being brought to tears by it. Mm. I'm not even joking. Not me. I was like, man, I wish he left those snakes. <laughs> <laughs> the firefighters declare Pee-wee a hero, but the police arrest him for what happened back at Warner Brothers. I did love how both the fireman and the policeman refer to him as this boy. (laughs) This boy is a hero. Yeah, although it's funny that the two cops are like split. Are you guys working on the same force? No, one's a firefighter. Okay. Which I just said. Yeah, I thought that. Okay. The firefighter thinks he's a hero. All right. The policeman is there to arrest him. I see. I thought it was two different cops and that there were firefighters also on the scene. (laughs) They just get into a rumble. Yeah. Yeah, it's like The Departed. They play that rugby game. (laughs) Since the invention of fire or pussy, or whatever he says. (laughs) Pee-wee is brought back to Warner Brothers to meet with studio president Terry Hawthorne. Hawthorne decides to drop the charges and return the bike in exchange for the rights to adapt Pee-wee's story into a film. By the way, he gets fleeced here. Pee-wee? Yeah. Imagine how much those rights could have gone for. Well, he was charged with a crime. True, yeah. Plus, in his childlike mind... He probably doesn't think yeah. he needs any payment for this. It's just I, well, an yeah. honor to be have and a movie. Clearly the life he's leading, he doesn't need any income. Dottie is there looking cute as a button, but Pee-wee <laughs> still won't go for it. <laughs> Again, hilarious. <laughs> She's the dream woman, Pee-wee. She works at a bike shop. You love bikes. I know. What is ho- the problem here? The bike shop conveniently located next to that fucking joke store or whatever that <laughs> it he goes to. It was a magic store. Yeah. The film of Pee-wee's life stars James Brolin as P.W. Herman because he's too big to be Pee-wee. Right. And Morgan Fairchild as Dottie, (laughs) who must retrieve their stolen motorbike, which contains an important microfilm from the Soviets who stole it. I absolutely love this stuff. All the movie stuff is hilarious to me. Pee-wee has a bit role as a hotel bellhop. Now, this is where we were circling back to the Cheech and Chong thing, because that's what he played in Cheech and Chong's next movie, Mm. Rubens. I think he actually is Pee Wee Herman in it. Not a big Cheech and Chong guy, so I've never seen it. Sure, same here. But the best part is that Pee Wee's voice is dubbed in the movie, (laughs) and he doesn't seem to mind when he's watching it at the drive-in. Have you got any messages for room 104? The name's Herman. P.W. Herman. No, nothing right now, Mr. Herman. 
I'll be in the bar. Wow! That's fantastic, Pee-wee! <laughs> Thanks! Ah, <laughs> oh, Pee-wee! <laughs> C'est magnifique! <laughs> Voici Pierre. Bonsoir. Dinner! Here, brought you guys French fries! <laughs> Merci, Merci beaucoup, Pee-wee! Merci beaucoup! Hey, the big scene's coming up, you guys. Paging Mr. Herman. Mr. Herman, you have a telephone call at the front desk. <laughs> Yes, I understand. That was the president again. I've got to steal back the X-1 before the Soviets find the secret compartment containing the microfilm. The future of the free world is riding on this one. I'm going with you. No, Daddy, it's too dangerous. <laughs> I invented the X-1, PW. I'm going with you. All right, let's go. You are such a pushover. I know you are, but what am I? So yes, the film premieres at a drive-in where Pee-wee gives out refreshments to different people he met along his journey, all seemingly invited to the big film debut, including Mickey, Simone, back over from France, the bikers. One of the hobos is actually... Sunshine Parker, who played Emmett from Roadhouse. So, hmm. I would say one of the biggest stars of the 80s. I think so. I'm Fair to say. The drive-in material was shot at Studio Drive-In, located in Culver City, California, and it's the same drive-in used in the film Grease. Oh. It was demolished in 1998. That's a shame. <laughs> yeah. Not a lot of drive-ins anymore. I think even in California, in L.A., I yeah. don't know that there's like a ton of them. It's a bummer. I loved growing up and going to the drive-in. Yeah. We actually saw a tenant at the drive-in when it was a yeah. time where you couldn't really... Which, for me, living in this region for 12 years now or whatever, that was the first time I went to the drive-in. I in used the to go to that drive-in a lot. Never with a group of dudes, though, like when we saw Tenet. But <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the only way we can go now. It was during COVID, yeah. so it was a different time. Pee-wee joins Dottie at their bikes and then encounters Francis, who tells reporters he is Pee-wee's best friend and that he taught Pee-wee how to ride. Francis also claims to be knowledgeable about Pee-wee's bike, but inadvertently sets off one of the bicycle's gadgets and catapults himself into the air. <laughs> Phil Hartman making a, a brief cameo appearance here as one of the reporters talking to mm. Francis. I don't know how I feel about this. I would have preferred a little bit more comeuppance for francis since he set this all in motion and it's his fault uh-huh although judging by the height to which he's catapulted i'm assuming he died when he landed <laughs> right no investigation the town took a vote That's they were right. like we're gonna leave it unsolved <laughs> we're fine with the no more francis <laughs> a roadside burial yeah no grave <laughs> <laughs> then Pee Wee wants to leave the movie early 
And Dottie is confused by this, and he tells her, I don't have to see it, Dottie. I lived it. <laughs> That's right. And then they ride off together, seemingly a couple. Yeah. Although he it's seems like a, kind of reluctant still. A little bit of an E.T. with the moon, except they're going over the <laughs> movie screen. Yeah. And that's your movie. A sweet little ending there. I don't really know that I expect a full future for Pee Wee and Dottie together. No, it seems like a flimsy situation. It doesn't seem like Pee Wee can commit. No. <laughs> He's a man of many. He's a loner. Right. <laughs> a rebel. A man of many and none at the same time. They followed the success of Pee-wee's Big Adventure with a film called Big Top Pee-wee in 1988. I've only ever seen Big Top Pee-wee once. It was a long time ago. I don't really remember it. I don't remember liking it the same way. I can't really say that the magic was there. It's but- hard for me to say my memory of I I watched it on like HBO in like middle school or something. Right. And there was stuff that made me laugh, but I never revisited it. Yeah, it really wouldn't be fair for me to give like a full review of it. I don't really remember it all that well. It did have a $20 million budget, but only made 15 at the box office. So clearly not a success. It had a 38% on Rotten Tomatoes, which I'm sure are all legacy reviews. I doubt anyone's reviewing it now. Was unable to carry on that audience from the first movie. Yeah. And then, as we mentioned, after the television show was pulled from syndication because of the arrest, there really wasn't much Pee-wee activity for a while. In 2016, Netflix did a new film called Pee-wee's Big Holiday, which I did not watch, although I wouldn't be against watching it. It was one of those things where I guess it was just the glut of content that Netflix was releasing over these last five, six, seven, eight years that it just got lost in the shuffle. I never saw it on a Netflix front page or anything. I know. Didn't see much promotion about it either. Even though Judd Apatow was involved and and several other people. I know that Joe Manganiello guy was in it. Probably some other people. I know. I I think Alia Shawkat maybe. There was like a lot of people in it. You talking about it kind of sparks a vague memory from me. That it existed even, or that there was talk that this was going to happen, but it is so faint in my brain that I knew anything about this. From some of the sources I trust, including one that would count Pee-wee's Big Adventure amongst his favorite films, the word I was hearing was that it was not great. I would think. But I was surprised to see that the reviews were somewhat favorable. I don't know. It just seems weird that Netflix buried it and that it just escaped my consciousness as far as i knew it had never come out (laughs) i remember hearing about it before it came out and hearing the early word on it from that source that i just said but i never saw it come out so i was like did it ever even happen i don't know i think with most things we just have to accept that they were a time and a place yet we refuse to as a society (laughs) everything has to just keep going forever i know there has to be a new peewee herman it's like oh my god just come up with new stuff yeah give us new characters give us new stories you can't blame like Paul Rubens or something for being interested in. Well, I'm sure. Yeah, if Netflix up, but... is going to give you money. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So, Bill, thank you for the recommendation. Yeah. I enjoyed Parenthood. He turned me on to it. He, okay. I had not seen it until he recommended it to me and I watched it. And I did enjoy it a lot. But I just, it's just this style of movie that I don't know that we would really be able to do that well. I just felt like this was better for us. For sure. It's a movie that everybody knows, 
but it's also so weird that it exists. Yeah. That it's fun to talk about. What are you doing? What? <clears throat> what? Vincent stopped making picks. Well, how am I going to know what movies to see? We have a wide variety of Gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. So let's jump into recommendations. And for this segment, Matt didn't really have anything urgent, so I wanted to turn it into a discussion that I had mentioned that I would probably get to eventually, which was an overall conversation about the success of horror in this, the year of our Lord, 2022. Oh, yes. Almost everything, aside from superhero movies and Top Gun, and I guess you could maybe say Elvis, which cracked 100 mil, but oh, wow. a lot of things just didn't pan out. A lot of movies currently at this very moment are bombing hard, including the awards contenders, and I'm not really sure if that's going to affect them or not. But the one consistent, the one steady hand for Hollywood, and the one thing that they can probably continue to turn to because of the loyal nature of horror fans is horror. That's right. Horror fans are the ones buying VHS tapes because horror tapes are harder to find than the other ones. Yeah. They are the ones supporting Arrow and Vinegar Syndrome and Scream Factory and Synapse and Severin. There's so many boutique labels that cater to horror because horror fans buy stuff. Horror fans go to the theater. I wanted to recommend Smile, which is now for free on Paramount+. Plus. It was a huge hit this oh, year. Yeah. On a $17 million budget, it has made $215.8 million. That is a monster hit. That's right. Out of nowhere, because there aren't really big stars in it. Cal Penn Ooh. and Kyle Gallner are in it. Wow, Kyle Gallner. Back to the well. Yeah, he is in a lot of horror films. He was yep. in Scream as well. That's sort of his bag, and he admits it, but he's also in non-horror films too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but he says he's happy to be in this many horror oh, films. Oh, totally. I will say that the trailer for Smile did not excite me. I was not someone rushing Same. out to the theater for we it. We talked about it. But it's pretty good. It's not necessarily breaking any new ground. It's sort of derivative of It Follows and some other stuff. I was stunned at how positive the reviews were for it. But it's effective. I definitely jumped a few times. It's a little long. It's an hour and 55 minutes. It should probably be about 15 minutes shorter. But it's solid. And it goes in a place by the end where I did not expect it to go. Okay. And there's some weird shit in it at the end. And it, it's cool. It's a weird movie. It's streaming on, what, Peacock right now? Paramount Plus, Paramount Plus. I just Sorry. said. All right. <laughs> a lot of words being said over there. Hard to follow them all. But in addition to Smile... I wanted to highlight some other films, some of which we've already talked about, but just to go over how successful horror has been and will continue to be. Barbarian. Oh, yeah. A great film, one of my favorites of the year. $4.5 million budget, $45.3 box office. You're oh. talking about 10 times your budget. Terrifier 2, $250,000 budget, $11.5 at the box office. Whoa. And that is a depraved two-hour-and-a-half movie of just horrific shit. <laughs> Pearl, $1 million budget, $9.4 box office. X, $1 million budget, $14.8 million box office. Even movies that were divisive. Halloween Ends, $33 million budget, $105 million box Holy office. Holy shit. Nope, 
A little bit higher, $68 million budget, $171.2 million box office. I'm not convinced that that movie is necessarily profitable yet, but when you factor in home video and all that other shit and streaming rentals, I'm sure it will be. Scream, 2022, $24 million budget, $140 million box office. The great thing about horror is you don't have to spend any money to make them. They still fit within that reasonable range that Hollywood is right. willing to go with. And chances are, horror fans are loyal. They're going to show up. Yeah, and you're always able to market them to teenagers. I know that I've probably had my problems with these two studios in the past, but A24 and Blumhouse cater to horror as well, and they're both successful yeah. studios this day and age. Every now and again, you'll get some... Ones that don't really get any traction and they kind of clunkers. They, they I feel like they usually put them out in like February. Yeah, and generally those might not make a huge profit, but probably with streaming rentals and shit like that, they probably do end up breaking even at least because people will check them out. There's a community of people yeah. that like horror. I can remember in high school and then the years that follow when I would see every movie that I could in the theater, but these horror ones. It doesn't matter how shitty they were. Packed theaters. You know what I mean? People reacting. Stuff that I haven't thought about since 2005. But like I can remember seeing it in the theater and it was a full house getting a reaction from people. Now, I know that out of those movies I listed, there's a couple of sequels and different things like that. Like Halloween Ends and Scream and Terrifier 2. But ultimately... Horror is also one of the last bastion, last refuge of original content, original material that they're doing well. Smile, even though it is slightly derivative of some other films, is its own thing. It's new, and it makes over $200 That's crazy. There's not really anything else like that happening on a week-to-week basis. I don't want to shit on everything. I know that... I, I kind of goofed on the, the Harvey Weinstein journalism movie in the last episode, but even Spielberg's new movie, The Fableman, pretty much came out and flopped. Nobody is interested in this stuff. And yet, Smile makes $215.8 <laughs> will go see horror. And yeah. uh, my only point of this, I guess, is to say, make more of it. I know. Embrace it. Well, there's a lot of stories of great directors starting off in this genre for that reason. I'd like to see some great directors who have never worked in horror maybe give it a shot, see yeah. what they can do. That's always cool, too. It's a dark time with the box office. It'll be an interesting 2022 year in review. Give us a second when we get to that day. I know. I'm dreading it right now because I need to like really rush to see some stuff. I know we've got some time still, but... Well, I'm... yeah, we're going to have months before. I know. And most of it will probably be available on streaming way before that but this will definitely be like not counting pandemic years this will be like the least that i've seen in the theater i think when compiling that list, right yeah Yeah. for sure yeah i do think that our 2022 give us a second will be a defining moment between us and our listeners Uh maybe seen as a heel turn (laughs) i know that there's some opinions that we're gonna have that are probably gonna rock people's worlds a little bit But, you know, it's the truth. Yep. We'll get into that probably around Oscar time. Give us a chance to see some of this stuff that's not doing well in the theater. All right. So the recommendation corner turned into a little bit of a state of the union on horror movies. Yeah. I liked it. 
check out Smile on Paramount Plus, and you can check out Pee Wee's Big Adventure on HBO Max. I do think that I would like to try to remember to tell people if a movie we're doing is available somewhere for streaming. Oh, that's true. I always forget to do that. Yeah. But yeah. I watched it there on HBO Max. So did I. Yeah. I don't have a physical copy of this, believe it or not. Yeah, neither of us do. I'm ready for a 4K, Mm I guess. Yeah. All right, folks. Thank you for listening. Thanks to Bill for the listener request. That wraps it up for listener requests in 2022. We're still pondering, debating, thinking about what our options will be for listener requests moving into next year. I don't want people to feel like we won't do it, but... (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Maybe we do want them to feel that. (laughs) No, we haven't made any decisions yet. Anything's still on the table... There might be some sort of a payment involved. Yeah, the Patreon page. <laughs> a purchase. I don't. Well, I don't know if it would be through Patreon, but no. something. We might put a price tag on movies, and then if they're long movies, they might be a little bit more, and they might be like "fuck you" prices, so that you might not want to do it. Yeah, we need <laughs> to, to discourage you people. from doing it. <laughs> <laughs> not that we haven't had fun doing them, but. Just know that I have notebooks filled oh, with yeah. Listen, subjects that we still need to get to. Guys, there's not years left in our lives to cover <laughs> what Zach has planned for us. Exactly. So it's more a question of us wanting to get to what we want to get to more than anything else. But we are considering a lot of options for next year. Although, as I've said all along, and this will probably be something that I would repeat at least until the end of this year, if you have never done a listener request, then yes, we would still be technically open for that, and we'll figure out how to put it somewhere at some point. That would be still for free. But if you've already done one, then relax, and we'll figure out what we're going to do moving forward in the next year. Follow us on Twitter at GreatestPod. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Podbean so you never miss an episode. Please tell your friends about the show. We are a word-of-mouth podcast only. We do not promote or anything else. We basically just dump these on our platform that goes to Apple Podcasts and a few other places, and then that's it. And then yep. we just hope people find it, you know. And sometimes they do. Right. And we are curious as to how you found us. So yeah. if you're hearing my voice and you want to jump on Twitter, let us know what episode it was that led you to discovering us because... As I've been telling Matt all along, that is how people will find us, by just searching a random movie on Apple Podcasts or wherever. Maybe iTunes back in the day. I think we were pre-transition into its own thing. Remember when it was like all part of iTunes? Oh, true, yeah. Originally? Anyway, if you'd like a sticker, let us know, and we'll send that to you for free. And you can find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, and Matt Crosby. And as I've pointed out in the past, if we don't follow you back, just let us know. We'd like to follow the people definitely who found us from the show. Yeah. Just don't do that shit where you follow me and then unfollow me Like as soon as I follow you back. <laughs> I've definitely hit a rut recently. I haven't posted a review in forever. I've just been logging without reviews. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I got to get Sorry. back into a regular flow. Yeah. As I was telling you, I keep buying all these Blu-rays and 4Ks, yet I only want to watch VHS tapes now. (laughs) (laughs) All right, folks, thanks for listening. We got a big December coming your way, so hold on. Make sure you're subscribed, and we'll talk to you soon.
Your big butt. 